Hear the word of the Lord from Deuteronomy 33, 1 through 5. <clears throat> this is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, gave the Israelites before his death. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and appeared to them from Seir. He shone on them from Mount Paran and came with 10,000 holy ones, with lightning from his right hand for them. Indeed, he loves the people. All your holy ones are in your hand, and they assemble at your feet. Each receives your words. Moses gave us instruction, a possession from, for the assembly of Jacob. So he became the king in Jeshurun when the leaders of the people gathered with the tribes of Israel. Hear the word of the Lord from Deuteronomy 33, 26-29. There is none like the God of Jeshurun, who rides the heavens to your aid, the clouds in his majesty. The God of old is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He drives out the enemy before you and commands, destroy. So Israel dwells securely. Jacob lives untroubled in a land of grain and new wine. Even his skies drip with dew. How happy you are, Israel, who is like you. A people saved by the Lord. He is the shield that protects you, the sword you boast in. Your enemies will cringe before you, and you will tread on their backs. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's dig in. Let's dig in. I bet she's happy I didn't make her read that whole chapter. (laughs) Well, uh, happy Father's Day. Happy Juneteenth and any other holidays I missed. Happy that as well. Um, I've got a question for you. The question is this. Have you ever read the Old Testament and been confused? Uh, don't be lying now. Don't be lying. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you like, what? He did what? He said who to what? Okay, so listen. Sometimes there's, there's some confusion about how to read the Old Testament. Sometimes I feel that confusion, but, but one of the keys to understanding the Old Testament is, is understanding that it points to Christ. Now, I've said this before. It's my favorite little statement. Y'all should be mindful of this devout thesis. All of the Bible is about Jesus. So the question is, okay, okay, so it didn't say his name though, right? So how exactly is the Old Testament about Christ? One way you can look at it is it's like looking at the shadow of someone and then in the, in the New Testament, you see the, the, the full picture. Now listen, if I'm looking at someone's shadow, like I kind of know what they look like, right? You know, kind of, kind of. And, and when I see them, they're not going to be like not looking like their shadow. Like they, they're like, oh, I can see how that was your shadow. Oh, another way to look at it is it's like, um, you know, those coloring books where you kind of connect the dots first to make the picture, right? And then you connect the dots and then probably you color it. You can think about this is the unfolding of who Jesus is in the scripture. You see some dots, you kind of understand what's going on. Uh, you, you connect them, you kind of understand, and then you get the full color. And you're like, oh, that, that is what it is. So when we're looking at the Old Testament, we are seeing different shadows, different types, different pieces of, of who Jesus is that we will see in the, in the fullness in the New Testament. So, so one example One shadow that points to Christ is this whole idea of a priesthood, right? 
In the Old Testament, there's this whole priesthood. There's a high priest. There's all these priests. There's a sacrificial system. All this stuff was going on. In other words, there was a mediator. There was a go-between between the people and God because their sin was so great. But here's the deal. We get our need for a mediator in the Old Testament. We get the fact that God is going to provide a system of mediation. But in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy 2, 5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So you see this this piece of of this this thing that points to who God is. It points to to some of the problems and and it kind of crescendos into who Christ is and what he has done. Now what we have been doing for the past couple of months is we've been looking at the life of Moses. Now I, I know if you've paid attention, every time I start talking about Moses, who will I end up talking about? Jesus, yeah, right, right. We somehow get to Jesus, right? You know, now, if you're paying attention, you're like, what? Well, how, how did they wasn't in the past? Listen, listen. We see in this series that God promised to bless, promises to bless his imperfect people. And we see all of these glimpses, all of these pictures, all of these snapshots, all of these shadows that point to what Christ has done for us. We can see God's care. For his people through Moses, and but we can see it most clearly in his care for his people through Christ. So we're going to look at some of the major themes in the life and ministry of Moses and see exactly how it points to Jesus Christ and to our salvation. So context is context is king. All right, context is king. So what's going on? We're in this book called Deuteronomy. It's, it's the last kind of uh, uh, speech and, and action that we have of Moses. He is preparing this new generation to go into the promised land. So this, in, 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 in effect, this is his last will and testament, right? He's like, y'all been tripping a long time. Hopefully y'all not going to trip. Please don't trip. Y'all know how that goes. Stop tripping. All right. So he's instructing them to obey the Lord. And everybody goes, surprise. No, he's saying, he's saying that, hey, by the way, you should obey the Lord. He's just, the whole book of Deuteronomy is reminding them of what God has done and the fact that they should continue to obey him. In Deuteronomy 31, 29, it says, this is what Moses says. He says, for I know that after my death, you will become completely corrupt and turn from the path I've commanded you. Disaster will come to you in the future because you will do what is evil in the Lord's sight, angering him with what your hands have made. What a downer. Right? He's like, one of the last things he says, I know I just told y'all to obey, but let's just keep it 100. I done been with y'all for a while, okay? I know how y'all operate. Y'all probably not going to do it, <laughs> right? God knew that his people would fail. They, God knew the hardness of heart that is in his people. And, and, and the reality is, don't you feel it? There's that hymn that says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel you feel your own hardness of heart sometimes. This is the craziest thing that God promises to bless his people knowing full well that they will not live up to his standards. Like this encouragement from 2 Timothy 13, it says, uh, the idea that, that even when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. One of the biblical words for that is is this idea of covenant. It's a promise that God makes a promise to his people to bless them. And even when they don't fulfill their end, 
God says, I'm still going to fulfill my end. So Moses is 100 with him. He's like, I know y'all going to fail. But that, that's not the last word he says, actually. And then Moses kind of gives them a song to recount and tell of God's faithfulness. He's just say, hey, y'all going to fail. But at the end of the song that he gives them, in Deuteronomy 32, 36, he says, the Lord will indeed vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their strength is gone. Even though he just prophesied that they are going to fail, he reminds them in song, when he sees your need, he still is going to draw near to you. See, God plans to bless his people even though he knows they will fail. God looks at his imperfect and wayward people with great compassion. If you came in here today and you feel like you messed up, you feel like you blew it, you need to see something about God's character. Even if that is true of you, God says, but I still have a plan to bless you. We can see this clear in the life of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus had this top disciple. His name was Peter. Now, if you read the story, you're like, that's the guy? That's the top one? That's the one you want to pick? The one who's tripping all the time? Yes, Jesus says. But before, before Jesus even goes to the cross, he says, look, look, uh, Simon Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. In other words, he's saying, I know you're going to deny me. I know you're going to fail. When you repent, you can come back to me and I'm going to still use you. That's what he says. I know you're going to fail, but when you repent, when you humble yourself and come back to me, I will bless you and bless others through you. See, Jesus sees our imperfections and he still wants to bless us. Jesus sees our, our imperfections and he still wants to use us to be a blessing to others. And when we come to the text today, we can see this theme of God gathering his people for the purpose of blessing them. At the beginning of Deuteronomy 33, it says, this is the blessing, you can see, I told you, this is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, gave the Israelites before his death. He said, the Lord came from Sinai and appeared to them from Seir. He shone on them from Mount Paran and came with 10,000 holy ones with lightning from his right hand for them. He's recounting of the fact that, that you remember when, when they were freed from Egypt, they came to this mountain and God came with great power, showed his glory, so much so that they were kind of scared. They saw the glory and the power of God and they were like, Moses, you can go talk to him. That's cool that we saw that. Listen, listen, he's showing his glory. They saw glimpses of the power of God. Now, though they might have been a little afraid of the power of God, when they were in trouble and they were calling for help, I'm sure they remembered, oh, wait a minute, we serve a powerful God. Well, wait, wait a minute, he, he comes with power. He has this angel army. That's the one that we serve. This powerful, awesome God is the one who still says, I know you're imperfect and I still am dedicated to blessing you. We can see this fully in Christ. Listen, Christ is the embodiment of the glory of God. There is this time when Christ actually goes up on a mountain and he begins to glow and, he, and power and authority is seen coming from him. And the apostles who are there are like, oh snap, what is going on? 
Listen, it says that, his, that as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. See, we get to see glimpses of the power of our God. Not only the one who suffered and died, but the one who has great glory. So like the one who has great glory and authority, when he decides to bless you, do you think he's going to get blessed? Yeah, when he decides to do good to you, is he going to accomplish his purposes? Yes, because he has great power and authority. Not only does he have that, when they gather, God blesses his people with his love. Verse 3 says, indeed he loves the people. All of your holy ones are in your hand and they assemble at your feet. Listen, that the glorious, powerful one has affection and love for the one that is lowly. That he would stoop down and he would be gentle. Listen, listen, it is very rare that you see someone who was very strong, very powerful, very authoritative, but also who was gentle. But in our God, that is exactly who you see. In Jesus Christ, you have the one who has the authority to say, hey, wind and waves, be quiet. And they silence immediately. And at the same time, he looks at the woman caught in adultery and says, I do not condemn you. The the, the God of all power and glory has set his love on you. The immense power of Christ does not make him harsh. And if you pay real attention, watch what he calls them. He says, all your holy ones are in your hand and they assemble at your feet. He calls them holy. That, that, that name, that Jeshurun, that means the upright one. Now listen, if you've been paying attention in, in the story, are they holy, the people? No. No, they're not. They're not. They're not. They're not. They are not holy. Yet nonetheless, God calls them holy. They are broken. They are, are, are marred. They have sin. They have rebellion. Nevertheless, God says, my name for you is holy. Listen, that, that, that is what Jesus does. And in and, and John 15, 3, he said to his people, you are already clean because of our, the word I've spoken to you. That was right before they all betrayed him, okay? <laughs> but because he spoke this word of cleanness over them, that is how they are seen in heaven. And that is what he will make them. Even the apostles call the people of the church, call them saints, holy ones. Listen, you might come here and you're like, I don't know if I'm a saint. Listen, if you are in Christ, you are. He loves you and he calls you holy. He calls you clean. That is the the greatness of his power. So not only does he gather his people to bless them, not only does he gather his people to pour out his love, he gathers his people to give them instructions. Verse 4, Moses gave us instruction, a possession for the assembly of of Jacob. In other words, he, he sees the instruction in the law like a gift. Like, I, I gave you something. Here it is. It's a possession, something that, that you can hold. Listen, listen. Have you, have you ever worked a job without proper training? Is that not frustrating? You're like, what am I supposed to do? So when someone gives you instructions, it actually is a gift. It's a good, thank you for telling me what's up. This is what God has done and given us his law. That he has given us a gift so that we would know the instructions so that we can obey him. Listen, the instructions of Christ Jesus are a gift to us. Imagine the beauty of a world that would follow the instruction of Christ. 
where people would love their enemies and pray for those who curse them, where people would, would not be greedy. That would be a beautiful... See, listen, we need to be careful that we don't look at God's commandments as some sort of punishment. They are actually a gift to us. They teach us the way to go. They are glorious guidance. Sometimes I feel like the way we relate to God's instructions is like, have you ever asked somebody for directions? I know that's probably not common. You got Google Maps. But every now and then I'll ask somebody for instructions, right? And usually they tell me where to go, right? So people are usually kind of nice like that. Now imagine if I asked somebody for instructions and they gave me instructions and I say, you better not tell me what to do. Like well, you just, you, just like, you said you wanted to. That's how we treat God, though. Don't you tell me. I thought you wanted a good life. Don't you tell me. What, no, no. It is a gift that He would give us instruction. See, see, when 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 we gather, God blesses His people with His kingship. In verse five, it says, "So He became king in Jeshurun when the leaders of the people gathered with the tribes of Israel." When his people gather, he, he shows up with his presence, with his love and his instruction over and over again. He manifests his kingdom, that, that his, his presence is love, his reign and righteousness, his blessings are made manifest. When I think about the fact that, that he gathers his people to bless them, that makes me excited for the gathering of the church. He gathers those, his people today for the same reason. He gathers his people to show his blessing, to give instruction, to show his mercy and grace and love. You know, one of the things that's so interesting is, is we have staff meeting on Tuesdays. And every time I'm like, before we get to the business, I'm like, how's your soul? Because I want them to know how they spiritually, you know. And whether they're having a good week or a bad week, sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's good. But there is this common thing. They go, I, you know, even if it was bad, I didn't have that great week. But on Sunday, I felt the presence of God. On Sunday, I was encouraged by the church. On, on, on Sunday, somebody gave me a word of encouragement. Listen, God still gathers his people to bless them. And what's beautiful what he's, is, is, is in the scriptures, he doesn't just, just give a general Blessing. He gives specific blessings to his people. That whole chunk of the chapter that we didn't read in, in this chapter, in Deuteronomy 33, it's him giving specific blessings to each and every single tribe. He sees us and he gives us specific blessing. See, God uniquely made each and every one of you and gives to each of you various natural talents and different gifts. He sees you not as a blob, as a mass. He sees you and he loves you. And he blesses you. And then as he concludes this blessing, he focuses again on the character and action of God. Look at verse 26. There is none like the God of Jeshurun who rides in the heavens to your aid. The clouds in his majesty, the God of old is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He drives out the enemy before you and commands destroy, so Israel dwells securely. Jacob lives untroubled in a land of grain and new wine. Even his skies drip with dew. How happy you are, Israel. Who is like you? A people saved by the Lord. He is a shield that protects you. The sword you boast in. Listen, he reminds them. This is, again, this is his last will and testament. The last thing he's about to say. In fact, the very next chapter, he dies. So this literally is the last thing he's saying. 
It's like you need to remember who it is that you serve, that he is the powerful and eternal God, the one who, who, who rides the heavens to your aid. There's a little bit of a, a, a competition going on. There was other gods in that time, and there was this one named Baal. And Baal was called the one who rided the clouds. And the Israelites were like, well, you say your God rides the clouds, but our God actually controls the weather. <laughs> he actually can open and shut the heavens. It's not just a metaphor. He actually is the one who is powerful. It says that he is the God of old, the, the, the one who has these, these everlasting arms. We can see this in Christ when it says in John 1 that the word was with God and that the word is God. All the characteristics attributed to God the Father are attributed to Christ in equal measure. When you look at Christ, you need to see the one who was powerful, the one who was eternal, the one who was of old. Not only this, he reminds them that he delivered delivered them. This is the craziest thing. You can read the whole Old Testament, and you get towards the late in the New Testament, and they're still talking about the deliverance, that deliverance from Egypt that set their identity. God destroyed the Egyptians and any other enemy that would attack his people. God in Christ destroys our enemies of Satan, sin, and death. He has set his face on you that nothing, no evil, no shadow, no wrongdoing, nothing will take you away from him. He has set his face to bless you and demonstrated that in Christ. Christ is our warrior God who protects us, not just now, but eternally. And Moses goes on to remind them that he provides. He says, listen, listen, y'all have grain and new wine. You have rain. You have everything you need. He provides good food and blessing to his people. But then we see in Christ, Christ who gives us his own body as bread and his spirit as wine, satisfying us at the core of our being. Our God has decided to provide for us and provide for us eternally. And John uh, 6.54 says, The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. John 4.14, But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. Listen, he provides for us. And beloved, he protects us. He says that the Lord is before us. Anything that will come to try to destroy us, he says, destroy now, this is hearkening back to this Old Testament promise in, in Genesis 3.15, all the way back when Adam and Eve sinned and they fell, and God has given out these punishments. In the middle of the punishment, he says to Eve, listen, you, you are going to have a child, and that child is going to crush the head of Satan. Listen, we see this theme repeated in the Scripture that God is going to deal with our enemies, and our enemies are not flesh and blood. Our enemies are sin, Satan, and death. And Christ crushes the enemy through the cross and through the resurrection. As my brother Tom likes to remind me, Christ crushes the enemy through the church when we serve and love and care for one another. And so we come to the end of Moses' life, and he dies, and he's buried. Now, if you're following Moses... I'm sure you're feeling kind of like, well, okay, what are we going to do now? But here's the deal. The reason that Moses points to Christ is because we have a leader 
who never, ever will die again. He died, he rose again, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Christ is risen forever. We see this theme running all the way through the scripture that God blesses his imperfect people through Christ Jesus. So all of us come in here with our faults and our imperfections, our stumblings and our frustrations, and you need to be reminded today that even though that is true, God in Christ has made a covenant with you that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you, he will always be there for you. He has demonstrated his faithfulness to you ultimately in his death on the cross for your sins and in his resurrection. And not only that, he promises to protect and ultimately deliver us when he comes again. He makes an eternal covenant with us. And so listen, when we gather together, we gather together to worship, we gather to be blessed by our king. That's where his presence is. He is present to us through his word. He is present to us by his spirit. That's where he pours out his love. One of the interesting things, I kind of notice uh, how people sing songs. One of the songs that people get really crunk on is that song about God's love. Yeah, I know you love me. Y'all be feeling that. (laughs) Y'all <laughs> be feeling that. I know, yeah, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. Y'all be feeling that, right? But why? Why? Because we, when we are gathered, we were reminded, oh, no, he loves us. He is kind to us. When we gather, does he not instruct us? He instructs us through the preached word. And one of the funniest things is, is he instructs us through the spirit. And this is how I know. Sometimes y'all will come up to me and y'all, you'll say something like, well, when you said X, Y, Z, that really encouraged me. And I say thank you, but in the back of my head, I'm like, I ain't even say that. <laughs> but the Lord just, just helped you anyway. <laughs> and I'm thankful. Now, the Lord gathers us to bless us. I want to end with a quote from a guy named Ignatius of Antioch. He was discipled by someone who was discipled by Apostle John. So he's old school. This is what he said about gathering together. He said, seek therefore to come together more closely, to give thanks to God and to glorify him. For when you are each together closely, the powers of Satan are cast down, and his destructive power is brought low by your agreement in the faith. So, so, so we're not making something up that is, that is new. We are joining with God's people through the ages that we would come together, that we would be blessed by our King, that we would be reminded of his love, and that we would be instructed to go and glorify him. And so we praise the one who promises to bless his imperfect people. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you had a plan to bless us, a plan to save us, Before we were born, before the world was created, you had looked on us with grace and kindness. And so, Lord, we don't have to be too afraid that we are imperfect because you knew full well that we would be imperfect, yet you decided to save us anyway. And so, Lord, let our hearts well with gratitude because you have been so kind and so generous to us that you meet us when we gather with you. So Lord, fill our hearts with the joy of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.